Hi everyone, it's Naomi Sneakers and welcome to the Firecracker Department. Well, how was your week? What did you guys do this week? What did you do on the weekend? What did you read? What did you see? What did you listen to? I've been listening to a lot of car radio and I love it. I love top 40 music. Makes me want to dance, makes me want to sing. I love it. I also have been reading. I'm reading a bunch of books, to be honest. I like to have a couple of books on the go, so when I get bored with one, I can move to the other. So um, I'm reading a book about writing uh, TV shows, because I'm also taking a chorus right now. I'm taking a course at the Writer's Pad, uh, and it's an online course, and I find it super inspiring. It's a um, bunch of people. We sort of look like the Brady Bunch on my computer, and uh, we're all writing different shows, and we're talking about ideas and sharing information. It's really, it's a really cool way of writing. I find writing kind of isolating sometimes. How many people are writers that are listening to this? I find it um, lonely. Like, I, I don't like sitting by myself and writing. <laughs> I find it really tricky. So I would much rather write in a group where I'm given deadlines. For sure I need deadlines. Oh my gosh. Uh, or like I like going to a coffee shop because then I feel like the guy sitting next to me knows when I'm spending too much time on Facebook. I just, that makes a difference to me. I like to know that strangers know that I'm working hard. It's ridiculous. What else have I been doing this week? I've been listening to a lot of Ron Sexsmith, who I absolutely love. What a poet that guy is. If you haven't heard his music, first of all, what? Second of all, Go Google him right now. Listen to one of his songs. It'll touch your heart. It can't help but touch your heart. And sometimes I'll put Ron Sexsmith on and it'll feel like it's my soundtrack of the day. Like I'll just plug it into my ear and I'll be walking around and... Do you ever have soundtracks? What's your soundtrack that you're listening to? Like Cat Stevens is another one I'll put in my ear and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm in a Wes Anderson movie right now. Uh, what else have I been doing? You know what? We finished our last show at IO West in Hollywood. And I have to give a bit of a shout out to two firecrackers that, man, I love these guys. Deanna Palazzo and Jen Pogue are part of our National Theatre of the World team. And that's a company that Matt Barham and I started about 10 years ago. We do comedy shows and sketches and online podcasts. We have the Barham and Sneakers podcast. But these two gals just are so great. They're so great. They work so hard for our company and they give me great ideas how to make the company stronger and they just fill in so many gaps that my brain would leave open and um and motivate me like sometimes you know producing a show is really challenging and takes a lot of energy and having two folks like jen and deanna around to just sort of kick you in the butt a little bit and make sure you're on track it helps a lot and they're funny and they're smart and talented, like, they do it all. They're also fantastic actresses in their own right and producers of their own shows. So I don't know how they have time for us, but they do, and I'm not complaining, because, gosh, the National Theatre of the World would not be what it is without those two. So hats off to those two firecrackers. We have an amazing guest today. We always have amazing guests today, but I'm really excited about talking to Laura Hall. Now, Laura Hall is... Um, the musician, the piano player for Whose Line Is It Anyway. She's also one of the 
Sweet Potatoes, which is a band that she has with her husband, Rick Hall. And those guys are fantastic. If you haven't heard their stuff, go have a listen. Um, but Laura Hall's just... If you've ever watched Whose Line Is It Anyway, it, she just exudes joy. She just exudes it. Like when you see it, you can see she's enjoying what she's doing. And she does. She loves teaching. She loves creating music. She loves improvisers. And it all shows when you watch that show. She's incredible. And she's also so smart and so thoughtful with, you know, giving some in-depth discussion about what we're doing here and how to make art. And I found it so inspiring. This was one chat for sure that was challenging to end because <laughs> we ended it and then we keep talking because I find her so interesting and um, inspiring. So here she is, Laura Hall. Have a listen. Let me know what you think. Let me know uh, what you think about her music too once you have a listen to that. She's fantastic and I love her. Laura Hall, everybody. That's a, like, did you think that you would always do music? Well, I wanted to. Yeah. I really wanted to, but I didn't I didn't know if it would work out. Yeah. And um yeah, and my dad it. was the one who said, "Well, try it and see what happens." Right. Which is sort of amazing. Yeah. yeah. Was he in music? No, not at all. He Nobody worked in your for family. I no, my dad worked for IBM for his entire career. He no got out kidding. of the army and worked for IBM his whole life. That so surprises me because I imagine you coming from a household that everybody's a musician. No, they loved music, and my uh, are we we are rolling? Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm like we're wasting the good stuff. <laughs> now, um, in my family, my parents loved music, but they were very unmusical. And in fact, um, my dad is pretty tone deaf, right. and like singing "Happy Birthday" at our house was kind of a. But it's kind of the best too, I know, right? It's yeah. quite charming, and yeah. like, oh my god, if you people could pick a key, yeah. <laughs> So, but your ear is like finely tuned, so you're probably like <laughs> saying that no matter you know. No, they are. They they actually laugh at themselves sometimes. Uh, but my grandfather was a musician, and he was the one who really inspired me. He was self-taught. He played piano. He sang. He was Swedish, and he sang in that big baritone, like like a like an Irish, you know, like an Irish baritone, yeah. full voice. And um, and he played and sang, and he played mandolin, and he played all different instruments, all self-taught, and. I found that, like, I was like, I want to do that. Yeah. So he really was my first inspiration. And was this in Chicago? Was yeah. that where you grew up? And like, yeah. your whole family there? Yeah, pretty much. So yeah. growing up, you spent some time with your grandparents. Like, yes. Like, you were close as a family. Yeah. And um, did he introduce you to your first, like, musical instrument, whether it be the piano or... Uh, no, he was far too impatient of a man to do that. <laughs> um. <laughs> what was his first name? His first name, yeah. Victor. Victor. Victor Lindquist. That's not true. Yeah. Linquist. That's Lindquist amazing. from Sweden. Yeah. Him and my... So that was a Swedish... He was a spy, name. obviously. That's yeah. a spy's name. Yeah. But uh, so he... <laughs> who introduced you to your first musical? So, so then I like begged and begged and begged for piano lessons because, you know, You're they the had a piano. You're the one child that begs. I know. Right? I was the one who begged. And then my other two sisters were forced into it because <laughs> you asked for it. They're like, thanks a lot, Laura. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, um, but that was part of it too, because I was the youngest of the three. Right. And then I passed them. Oh. Right. You know, within a, within a year or two, I passed them. And when does the youngest ever get to be the best at anything? Never. Never. So I know that was part of what sealed the deal for me. Did they lose their piano eventually? Yes. And then after a couple of years, they quit doing it. After, right. You know, after a few years. But, and I think they actually kind of enjoyed it. I shouldn't say they were forced to, but... 
I think they actually kind of enjoyed it, but I was the one who just begged and begged, please, I want yeah. piano lessons. Yeah. Um, did you have uh, recitals? Yes, yeah. we did have recitals. Of course I you did. I hated recitals. Did recitals? you have, like, with all three sisters playing music? Um, we would or? do duets sometimes. Of course um, did. And I think we did one time because my sister also played, one sister also played the flute and the other also played the clarinet. Oh, my God, you were those sisters. And, so we, <laughs> and then I would write pieces for them. So I would oh write little God. trios with me on the piano and them on the oh flute my and clarinet. But I didn't understand about, like, how to write for a specific instrument. Yeah. So I would write these impossible things for them to play and then, like, be this total <laughs> slave driver about making them play it. They were like, we can't play it. Like, because I had no sense about what was hard on that instrument or what was characteristic for that instrument. Right. I was just writing away. The fact that you just wrote, though, that's extraordinary, isn't it? Like, that's not easy. <laughs> I, I guess. You didn't think Although it wasn't it. very good, but I guess it was. But even from the very beginning, I wanted to write music. I wanted to... I wanted to know what made it tick. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I, I was never... My teacher was, like, about performance and about, here's the right way to play Bach. But what I was interested in was, what makes Bach sound like Bach? What makes it Bach? Why is it that there's stylistic things that go with Bach? Why is it that he was writing the way that he was? And I would ask her these questions, and she'd be like, just work on your fingering. You know what <laughs> right, I mean? Like, right. But what did you discover? Why is Bach like Bach? Well, when, then when I was in college, I got to explore that, right. which was so great. Because, uh, yeah, but, you know, what makes Bach sound like Bach is that it's polyphony. It's two hands doing two different lines at the same time. There were very strict rules about writing fugues and stuff in those days. What kind of intervals you right. could do, what uh, what kind of movement you could do. And, and Bach was like the ultimate mathematician, sort of. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, And so he would write three melodies for your two hands to play. So, so at some point in a fugue, oftentimes, you have three different melodies going on between your two hands. Like, how did he... Yeah. How did he do that? Well, I mean, but you kind of did that, like, you were experimented, right? As a kid, yes. giving your sisters <laughs> compositions, you were like, I don't know, let's just try yeah, this. Yeah, exactly. It's an experimentation, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so so then through school you were like probably the musician like that's Laura she's the musician in the school yeah although there and I also played in the in the orchestra I played French horn too so okay. I played in the band let's and, go through your instruments that yeah. you play now you play piano French horn although I probably couldn't play French horn to save my life now I bet you. I sold my French horn to buy my first electric piano to be in a rock band oh no <laughs> that's so <laughs> did your parents lose their mind no, I was old enough. I was in high school, and yeah. they're like, you know what? Do what you have to yeah, do. Do what you do. So, uh, yeah, I, I started on French horn and then and piano, and then now I play guitar, uh, ukulele, uh, accordion, and then I can sort of get by on percussion instruments like vibes and stuff like that. Right. You know, I can sort of fake my way on yeah. that and hand percussion and stuff. I'm pretty good with that. Right. Yeah. I can't a play of... a drum kit though. No. It's, well, I mean, I can't play any musical instrument, so I say no as in no. Drum kits yeah. are so advanced. But do you, are you one of those people that picks up an instrument and be like, oh, I can figure this out? Like a banjo or like... Yeah, although, although I mean, I can kind of figure it out, but then like taking the time to really learn how to play it, right. I've never done. Are you a perfectionist? So, um, like no, you don't want to play it until you can play it perfectly? No. 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 Actually, I want to learn well enough to be able to perform on it. That's all. Yeah. 
And then, and then usually, like when I wanted to learn guitar, I wanted to learn well enough to be able to write some songs and sing them in public. Yeah. But then, of course, after I was doing it for a while, then I wanted to get better. Yeah, that's fair. And and I still want to get better at guitar. I'm I'm far better at piano than I am at guitar. Well, you've been playing right longer, exactly, so like a lot longer. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So then, okay, through high school, were you always thinking music's in my future? I'm going to do music. Or was there ever like a fork in the road that you were like, maybe I'll become a dentist? Well, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it was interesting. So my first piano teacher who was all like, don't ask what, how it's made, just play it. Right. I ended up quitting from her because I just felt like, well, I'm not interested in just learning how to play it. Right. I, at one point, I remember having a fight with her and saying, it's like I'm a trained monkey. Like you're just teaching me to and move how old my were fingers. You? Maybe 14. Right. <laughs> right. Awesome. So then I quit for a while and I'm like, that's it. I'm not going to play piano. But then I, later on in high school, I found a teacher who would teach, who was willing to teach me both classical music and like chord theory, how to write. She would do stuff like she'd go figure out by ear, twinkle, twinkle, little star. Yeah. And then figure out three variations on how to play it and come back and play it for me. I love that. And I loved it too. It yeah. felt so creative. It made me so As opposed happy. to, like, by the book. Yeah. Which is the other teacher. Yeah. And then I was starting to write my own songs with some very bad poetry. Right. But, <laughs> but that's the job of the teenager. Exactly. Right? Like, exactly. There were a lot of roses in the snow right? and stuff like Ma- that. Masks that people wear. Yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I have a couple of those poems. So, uh, but, so she was the, she kind of brought me back to it. But then when it came time to go to college, I was like, you know, this is a really impractical way to try and make a living. And everyone else in my family, you know, my dad worked for IBM his whole life. My sister was going to be a teacher. My other sister was going to be an accountant. And then here's me, you know, like, so then I thought. And they encouraged you. Nobody said, don't do it. Well, it was a little, it was a little on the fence. It was a little like you want to be able to take care of yourself. That's what it was like. You you don't want to, you know, I don't want you living in poverty. So. So they were like, maybe you could be a music teacher. Right. And then that would be that, right? So I tried that. I tried regular teaching, you know, studying that. I changed my major about five times. Yeah. Because I kind of was. And then I also was afraid I wasn't good enough. Yeah. You That's know? Every artist's yeah. fear, right? Of course. So, so it was sort of all of those things, like, this is impractical. And I do have a big practical streak. And what if I'm not good enough? I'm probably not good enough. I'm going to do something else. So I kept trying to sort of fit myself into these other molds. And none of it was sticking. Mm -hmm. And finally, after about five years of college, (laughs) my dad was like, we all know what you really want to do is study music. So just study music and then try it. And if it doesn't work, go get your master's in something else. Yeah. Or go do something else. But he's like, try it. But you kind of needed his permission. But I needed his permission. Yeah, that makes sense. And it's kind of stunning that he did, considering what a straight arrow he was. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I think he was hoping that I would have been happy in a more regular kinds of profession. Yeah. But he could tell that I I wasn't, that I was trying to fit myself in. And I couldn't. No. It doesn't work. Yeah. Yeah. You see that happen all the time when somebody, like, you try to get off track because you think it's not safe. Yeah. Like the journey of an artist isn't a safe one. Not at all. But I'd much rather struggle in that journey than do something like an office job or something for me personally. Right, right. 
Yeah. And I do understand the need to, you know, like for me, being able to teach piano. So even though I didn't get my degree in music ed, mm -hmm. so I couldn't teach like in a public school, I could teach piano lessons. Mm -hmm. So for a long time in my early career, that was sort of my bread and butter. Right. Right. And then I also was waitressing, you know, and when I was back in Chicago, I was doing everything, yeah. you know, and um, and it was a way for me to I still kind of piece things together. I'm so much like it's a little bit of everything. Yeah. Right? And again, I think that's that's our brains, right? Like yeah. you want to spin a bunch of plates because you want to do a little bit of this. And if you said you're going to do the same thing every day for a year, oh my God. like even if it was your dream job, you'd still go a little bit crazy. You need yeah. to have like a garden or like right family and to balance it all out right so the did you build your confidence like that thing of saying like oh i'm not good enough did did that when did that turn into going no i can do this a couple of weeks ago yeah <laughs> <laughs> right um you know you know part of it was in a way my dad giving me the out of saying try it and if it doesn't work do something else mm -hmm. right you're smart. You can figure something else out. So it was sort of giving myself the permission to say, well, it's possible I'm not good enough, but I'm going to try and see. Mm -hmm. And then really the big turning point was getting hired in the touring company for Second City. Because right. that felt to me like I was being validated by something bigger. Right. Um, yeah, it's a machine. Second City is. Yeah, like, right. Yeah. It's the it, and, and it said you're good enough. Yeah. At least I was good enough for the touring company. You know what I mean? So um, so I think for me, that was a big, like, I guess I must be okay. Yeah. Because you need, you need a cheerleader. Yeah. You know, that says, like, whether it's a job that says, yeah, we see something in you as well. So then you're like, oh, I'm not crazy. <laughs> right. <laughs> there is right, something right. of value. So you, were you just in bands before that in Chicago? Yeah. I was doing a lot of different things. I was yeah. in bands. I would What play. was the band's name? The one that you bought the electric uh, piano for? What was uh, the name that of that? band fell apart before we even had a name. That was with like a, a high school boyfriend. Right. Who was like, uh, it was like a punk band. Right. And, oh, it was just a, you know, it was sort of that like police pseudo punk thing. But great. Anyway, yeah, yeah. we never even got. Was a that band. like your first band that you were? That was of? my very first band okay. that I played in. Yeah. And then tell I me think. some more band. And, oh yeah, and history. then and then I was um, I so and. So I played with uh, Michael Smith and his wife, Barbara, right. who are big in Chicago, yeah. sort of in the acoustic folk scene. And I played with them. I played with, um, with then <laughs> Rick's roommate, Mike, was in a band with one of his, uh, like a high school buddy, and Buddy Monlock. And they were like, we need girls in this band. Yeah. <laughs> Improv's the same way. We yeah. need a girl in this improv yeah. group. Yeah. So then, um, so Rick was like, well, I know a piano player. Great. So I Were you played, together at the time? Um, not, not really. Yeah. Um, so then I played with, with Buddy and Mike in various forms for many, many, many years. And right. we're still all really good pals. And that was folk. Yeah. And that was sort of... Singer, songwriter, folk, country, right. that area. Which seems yeah. more like where you've landed as opposed to the punk. Thing yeah. He's yeah. With. Yeah. I yeah. also did like a sort of 90s synth pop band. Awesome. Which I thought would be more fun than it was because it's like, oh, people will dance and stuff. But literally, the, the synth parts would be like, 
Cord, you hold this cord with its cool sound for a really long time. Cord, you hold this cord. Like, playing-wise, it was the most boring thing on Earth. I think that's why people wear sunglasses, so they yeah, can just be so like, so they can well, be asleep, yeah. yeah. Because it's all just about the sounds in your synthesizer. Right. It's not like you're really playing or... it. it and it felt very... It felt, like, mechanical to me. Yeah. I like more intuitive, push-and-pull kind yeah. of playing, you know. Um, you know, that... Anyway... And I played in a I played in a big in Chicago. I played in a nine piece wedding band. Wow! And we played all over the city. You know, it had horns and everything. Yeah. And that was a great experience because I'd never played in like sort of a big band like that. And we had a big book of material, and you had to be ready to play any of it at the moment at a moment's notice. Right. Which was great. So the band leader would just call out two fifty six, a hundred and ninety nine, and then boom, 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 no. we go. Yeah. So it was Holy really cow. great. And it's so funny. And then I did a lot of piano bar, too. That was my other bread and butter. Like, right. at first, Sunday brunch. Yeah, yeah. And all of that made me a better, makes me a better improviser. I was going to say, that all leads into a formula that creates exactly what you're doing yeah. right now, which is having all the different genres at your fingertips and having all the abilities of, like, just tapping into it quickly. Yes, yeah. yes, yeah. Okay, so then you, you did that for a while and you got Second City out of that? I really got Second City totally by chance because my sister worked next door. The guy who ran the box office at Second City wanted to date her. So he got me a, he got me a job first in the coat check, then waitressing. How many people at Second City have started in the coat check? Yeah, exactly. There's so many. It's amazing. But it was great because I was still in college, so you could study yeah. while you were doing the coat Right? Because right? you, you, you're busy, then you sit there for, you know, for an hour, and then you're busy again. So, um, yeah, so I would study. It was a great gig. Then I got promoted to a waitress. <coughs> and I, I was, but, you know, then I was getting to listen to Fred play, Fred Cass play right. all the time. And so I'd be like a terrible waitress because I'd be, wow, that was really cool, but he just, oh, here's your drink. You know, yeah, like yeah. I would get so totally distracted. derailed yeah. by listening to him. And Ruby Streak was the other one, right? right. Yeah. What and, great mentors. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. You know, Fred invented the genre sort of of playing for improv yeah. you know he, he was he was the guy yeah so um our version was the bob Durkatch in canada right right, right. Yeah. exactly exactly so um so then i kind of because of that and then sometimes i'd like after work when we'd all be sitting around i'd play and people would sing you know we drunken people singing yeah you know and uh, so i never had to audition when the opening came for the touring company they just knew i played right and then that way, it was great scheduling-wise because when I was because I was like the alternate at first. So when I wasn't on the road, I could waitress. Right. And when I was on the road, I wasn't getting fired from my other job. You know what I mean? Yeah. So they knew where you were. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. So they, I had that flexibility of scheduling. So I was like, great. So it worked out. It was just like an easy transition mm -hmm. from already. And also, all your there. friends. Right. Right. Like right. it was. I don't know about you, but when I started Second City, I'm like, oh, this is my family. Yeah. Uh, where are you guys? People. Can I borrow $30? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so how long did that go on for at Second City? So I was with the touring company for, I think, about four years. Yeah. My first year of serious touring was my senior year of college. That's young, huh? Well, although, remember, I was on the six-year plan. Right. Right. So right. It, was my, it was my, yeah. And so I talked the music department into letting me go on the road and like considering it an internship. Awesome. Right? Yeah. Because I'm like, hey, it's working in the field. Yeah. And they were like, well, no one's ever asked us to do this before. Yeah. This is before like internships were really big at schools. Right. But I finagled it. And um, 
and I would, and I would, we would finish a Turco gig, and I would go back to my hotel room and do my homework. Wow! I can't believe I was that disciplined. But I also knew I was on my way. Yeah. And if I didn't finish school now, I never would. Like I just yep. had this, you know, I, and I like I fooled around long enough. Like I was going to finish this. <laughs> I feel like your version of fooling around, quote unquote, is probably not everybody's fooling around. Like, what do you consider fooling around long enough? Well, that I that I like kept changing majors, and my right. dad was paying for school, and I'm like, I'm going to be a teacher. No, I don't think so. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to go to a different school. Yeah. yeah you know, some so. people's fooling around is like quitting school, doing drugs, yeah. and hitchhiking across the country. Right. <laughs> so I think you're in a different world. But that's like it is it is a balance that you created, and it's interesting. Like, where do you think that ballsiness came from like the ballsiness of a 14 year old to go I don't like what you're teaching me to your <laughs> piano teacher and also like to a to an instructor I want to do this I want to go tour with Second City and I want you to use it as an internship you know why I think this and this sounds weird my my last two years of high school I went to an alternative high school and what does that mean like art like in the arts Is it- um it it it's much less structured like there's students and parents on the board of the school there's a disciplinary committee that is partially made up of students. Yep. So if like someone gets in trouble, they don't go to the dean. They go to this committee, and the students help determine what should be done. Yeah. So it's super hands-on. It was also very small. And like we did, our art teacher uh, was a, was her specialty was ceramics, and we didn't have a ceramic studio. We went, the students wrote a grant, went to the Illinois Arts Council, and got money from them, and we were able to build a... Wow. A ceramic studio. Because we had the nerve, but also we, like, made a proposal. Yeah. And it sort of taught me that thing that has been served me so well with the life in the arts. Like, you can ask. You can say, what about this? But you also have to have, you also have to have something behind it. It's not just like, hey, make me the president of Sony because I want you to. You know what I mean? Yeah, you have to have the talent behind it and the work ethic. Right, but you can say, hey, I've developed workshops for teaching improv. Hire me. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because because I've created the thing. I've done the work. Yeah. And so I can present it and, and... and, and then also, I guess, the willingness to present it. The willingness to say, you don't even know you want to do this yet, but yeah. but but you might. Yeah. And so I feel like I learned that from that alternative high school experience. So then that sort of applied to when I was in college and I was like, what am I going to do? I'm like, you know what? I can make a proposal. Yeah. And so I went to the head of the music department and made my proposal. And I think she was so surprised and I went in and presented a good argument that she went, okay. Yeah. You know, and it was. It, it has served me well in my life. Yeah. That's a self-confidence too, right? Like, it's interesting that you started out as somebody that was like, I don't know if I'm good enough. But did you just, like, push that aside? I think I did. Because you I, wanted it Yeah, because so I wanted it. Because yeah. I wanted it. And so, I get that. And so even if I still had my doubts, I, I knew I wanted it. Yeah. I wanted to try. And I did have a feeling like I'm on my way. I'm on my way in some way. Mm-hmm. Not that this is the the end, you know, the be all and end all, but I'm moving. I'm moving forward. I'm growing. I'm learning, you yeah. know. And and I felt like the stuff that I'd been doing earlier, playing in the wedding band, doing all that, it just felt like I'm moving. Yeah, you know. So um, yeah. So <laughs> so I talked. I really love that, though. Yeah. Has that reverberated now in your life? That kind of like, 
I know what I want, and I'm just going to have to propose it. I, I do feel like it has. Like when, I wanted, when, when Rick and I had the idea to start teaching music improv, yeah. which sort of all happened very organically, which is the best way for things to happen, I think. But it was like, oh, okay, I'm going to go sit in on other teachers' classes and see how other people teach it and mm-hmm. see what works for me and doesn't work for me. I'm going to really, I'm going to sit down and think about what's in, how I would present this, what's important to me. Mm-hmm. And then we did a couple trial things with a few small groups. And then once we felt like we had our curriculum developed, then we started going to improv festivals. Yeah. Right? And then, you know, so it's like I felt like it was similar in that I went, I could build this. Yeah. You have all the tools and all the supplies. You just right. Have to put it together. I just have to put it together. Yeah. yeah. Um, I need to go back to that middle part because you worked at Second City for four years. So I was about four years in the touring company. Then I opened a show in the ETC. Right. And what it was went, that like it for went, you? Uh, it it's was your first show, right? It was my first show to open, yes. Right. Um, you know, so it's sort of that endless process the three months before where you're just working nonstop. But it was cool. It was really great because in the touring company, you don't get as much freedom to mm-hmm create your own material right and I really enjoyed that development process and working and, um, with the actors like did you find a synchronicity with that cast yes I did yeah I did um and I and I didn't I did enjoy it and then so and then we got nominated for some Jeff awards and the music got nominated for Jeff I didn't win but you know the music got nominated which is great and then about a month later so you know you've done three or four months of tons of hours of work yeah with no extra pay and then once the show opens, that's the time you're supposed to coast. And then about a month later, I get fired. What? Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. What happened? Did they just do a second city rejig? Um, it was, it, uh, uh, there was a guy in the touring company who uh, had gotten married and wanted to have kids and he didn't want to tour, so he didn't want to tour anymore. And so... They brought me in the office and said, you know what? You're single and you're young and you're a woman. You can go back to the touring company. He should have this spot because he's married and wants to have kids. Wow. And I was like, so my good work, my commitment, my all that, that doesn't count? And they're like, no, we totally appreciate that. But right. but he's a man and he's married. And that was the, that was the reasoning. What did, what did you do? What was your reaction? I quit. Yeah. I mean, I didn't want to go back to the touring no. company. I'm like, I'm not going back to the touring company. Yeah. So I did end up sort of staying, and 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 then I, it kind of smoothed over, and I, I would play for the um, the level five shows in the conservatory and stuff. But I was just like, that's that's the wind's it's just out of not you. right. Yeah. It's just not right. It's not fair. And I appreciate that that they cared about his family life. And he was a fine. It's not that he wasn't a good musician. No. It wasn't that he wasn't qualified. But I had, I had, er, I had earned my way yeah. with my good work. Yeah. And I'd put in all those friggin' hours. Yeah. Beforehand, opening a very successful show, and then they're like, "Well, thanks. We really appreciate it, but see ya." Yeah. You know, and I felt really betrayed. Yeah, I can imagine. I I was felt really betrayed, and. Um, yeah, it was the good thing. I'll put, you know, once I got it took me a while because I was really angry about it. Yeah, you get, the good thing is the musicians there a lot of times stay for years and years and years. Yeah. The actors move through quicker. Yeah. And I knew I didn't want to stay there for years and years and right. years. Mm-hmm. I knew it wasn't the end of my career, sort of. And 
So although I get shoved out, <laughs> yeah, it was, I mean you, you have know, to turn it around, right? Yeah, right. It was good for me because it brought me back to okay, I what what else do I want to do? Right. And I got like more involved at the Annoyance, for example, where I had more opportunities to open shows that I that I was involved in creatively, right. you know. Um, and I I got more engaged in working in bands again and songwriting and all that stuff. So it was sort of a shove out of the nest. It might not have been a fair shove, but it was a shove right. out of the nest. And looking back, it might have been the best thing that happened. Yeah. I mean, it still stings. Yes. But looking back, it probably was the best thing. Yes. Because it happened. So let's just say it is. Because right. you look at you now, right? So. Right. And I'd worked there for five years. Yeah. And you, know, and and then you didn't want to be right. like there for 10 more years. Exactly. So. And I didn't want to feel stuck there like, oh, I'm afraid to try anything different. Right. Yeah. I wanted, I, I did want, I I did want sort of a bigger a bigger career not that I didn't enjoy Second City but I wanted more I wanted other things too. yeah so um so it was it was a good shove out of the nest I guess but you stayed in Chicago you worked at Annoyance yeah I worked what I kind worked of shows Annoyance did you do there um we all their all their crazy yeah. late night musicals yeah. and stuff and uh, is there it, anything that you remember as being like the pinnacle of your Annoyance time there uh not really. You know, it was the whole experience and everything was so fast and loose there. Even what were written shows were in some ways more improvised than <laughs> than improv shows I've been in. You know, so it was it was a very good it was good for me for a sort of a fast process mm-hmm. and a, and a, everything was super democratic, super democratic process. So in a way that's sort of what I remembered and got the most yeah. gleaned the most out of it. Did that happen fast, that second city to annoyance? Like, or did you take some time off? Um, they actually overlapped a little right. bit. They actually overlapped a little bit. Because, you know, there's a the thing, there's so few people who do what I do. It's true, yeah. That that community, we all end up knowing each other. For sure, you know especially I mean? in Chicago. It's yeah, such a tight, yeah, tight exactly. So, you know, maybe, maybe it didn't overlap, because probably when I was doing the ETC show, I wasn't able to do their shows, but like I was subbing for Faith Soloway. Right. And then when I opened shows later, she would sub for me. Yeah, I love that. And then yeah. my friend Lisa McQueen, who we're still very good friends, uh, then I got her to sub for me. Do you know what yeah, I mean? Like yeah. we were all your community. playing each other's shows and we all knew each other. And yeah, so for me, what was great about that experience was that super democratic, it felt like there was sort of no top down at all. Yeah. It was all all peers yeah even though mick was mcnapier was the head of the theater yeah the head peer <laughs> yeah, yeah but but it was yes and so that was a really great experience for me and then when that, we moved to la um, now how did that happen so then that happened because rick was coming back and forth for pilot season that was when pilot season was more distinct right you know yeah and he landed a series called stand by your man and we decided let's go We'll try it for a year or two, right? Because we knew he, he had that, he had got hired for the pilot plus six. Right. So we knew he had that much to get us started. And we also knew that really, if nothing else happened, we could live for like a year off that money if we right. had to. Yeah. And then we'd go back if it didn't work out. Yeah. Same theory that your father was like. Try it. it. Yeah, yeah try it. exactly. And yeah. there's something about, for me, always, if I go, let's try it and see what happens, is way better than this has to work. Yeah, yeah. That that can be. You gotta try it. Yeah. Because if you don't try, you'll always be like, oh, I wonder what would have happened if we tried it. Yes, yeah. exactly. And then that willingness to regroup. Yeah. You know the yeah. willingness. to And go, you guys are like a solid enough team that you're like, 
what's the worst that can happen? We'll right. just look to each other and figure it out. Right, right. right. So, so, um, so we came, and the series got canceled after six, yeah. of course. <laughs> Which, you know, we Which were very happens. realistic. Yeah. We weren't like, hey, now we're millionaires. Yeah, right, you know, right, like right. We, we'd, we'd been in the business long enough to know that, that that was... But they did end up shooting the pilot three times with three different uh, lead actresses. Oh, wow. So he got paid for three pilots. Wow, yeah. So then we're like, we could live on this for two years. Yeah, right. You know, so we were living super frugally. We were living like college students, but it was fine. It was just the two of us in our little little tiny place. It yeah. was totally fine. Yeah. And then kind of trying to find our way. And so... But you weren't pursuing your stuff as much. Well, I, what, what I decided when we moved here was that I wanted to... I was like, you know what? I got to sort of step away from improv. It... And again, it can be like being a musician doing improv is the niche within the niche. Yep. You know what I yeah. mean? And uh, and I was like, it's just sort of not, I want to do other things. I yeah. want to actually write musicals. I want to learn how to do scoring for film. I want to really play in bands and focus on my songwriting more. You know what I yep, mean? Like I want to do totally. more of those other things. Because I'd been pretty heavily immersed in the world of improv yeah. for like five or six years. Yeah. And so I did that. I took classes at UCLA. It was great. I played with every anybody, everybody. I did open mics. I did all that stuff. And um, and then after, I guess we were here about three years, then I got the call to audition for Who's Line. Right. And I'm like, I'm doing improv again. Yeah. You know, like, go, improv. <laughs> right. And it was actually sort of perfect that I'd kind of had a break. Yeah. I would do the occasional gigs. I'd sub for someone at I.O. or something, yeah. you know. Yeah. But it was sort of perfect that I kind of mentally stepped away and I was doing other things. And I felt, I don't know what, I felt more uh, as a musician. I felt more like I'd gotten myself sort of centered. Yeah. Where, how do you think that happened? Where do you think you got that from? Um, I think it was from, like, sort of focusing more on my own songwriting and right. focusing more uh, and really sort of saying, what is it I want to do? You know, like, mm-hmm. where, what, what is, okay, now I'm, now we're going to say, yes, I am going to be a musician, right? Now I've been doing it for, you know, for right. five or you six years. You still haven't claimed the for, title of right. being a musician. Exactly. Yeah. But it's like, now let's say I'm claiming it. What do I want that to look like? Yeah. And so it helped me. It's sort of starting from nothing again. Sort of helped me refocus. What is it that I want to do? Yeah. You know? And when Second City LA opened, a couple of people were like, you should see if you can work there. And I'm like, you know what? I'm Didn't feel right. I'm just not. Yeah, yeah. I'm just not. That's not where I am anymore. Yeah. And it was kind of good to know that. Yeah. You know? So it wasn't that I like, I hate improv. I'm never doing it again. It was more like... I need to explore a little more. What is it that I really like to do? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What is it that I really want to do? That's interesting because somebody else might like move to a new country or new new city and follow Rick, who was doing his own stuff. But you also pursued your own goals and your own oh yeah creative needs yeah. too yeah. And you didn't take a break. Yeah, and 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 not that I was like the second I got here I was working. Right. I mean it was it was a slow go, but I really that was the only way I could do it. Because I did have this very active, creative life in Chicago. Right. You know? Yeah. And part of me was like, why would I leave now? Like, I've got I've got a nice career. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So for me moving, if I, if I was going to move here, it had to be that I had to figure out how to pursue my career here and, and create a new creative life for myself. Yeah. yeah. You know? And so, I mean... 
I mean, three years later, you're auditioning for yeah. Cruise Line. Three or four. Yeah, I guess, yeah, it'd be about four. Anyway, but yeah, so then... And that we, was the one in England. Well, that was what was really interesting. So that was the one when they did these sort of hybrid ones where they had the the British host. Right. But they came to America because now... Oh, it, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, so now at this point, Ryan is pitching Who's Line to ABC. And... And whose line was ending in England? So what they did, what they proposed was, we'll bring the British host over. We'll do six of them here with America, all the American actors. Several of them had already done the British show, right? Right. So, but we'll do it in America, and uh, but with the British host, and then we can use those as our test market, right? right. Yeah. So then they can air in England, and they'll also be our test market. Well, it rated really well, and that was with. A British host, you know what I mean, with with a British host, and so then Ryan's like, now you put Drew in, who was like a, you know, Top super popular. Yeah, yeah. yeah, his show was at the height of its popularity. It was the number one show on ABC. Right. So now, if you're going to put, if they love it with this British host, who most people don't know who he is, they're going to adore it with Drew. Right. So that was the that was the impetus of um, uh, that was the transition how it came to right. America. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I got hired just for those first six. So I auditioned and got hired. And Ron West was one of the producers. No way. And he got me the audition. Yeah. That's such a great Isn't synchronicity. That cool? Yeah. Um, what was the audition like? Were you, I, were you nervous? <laughs> I was nervous, but I also was like, you know, I know how to do this. I've yeah. been doing improv long enough. Yeah. I, you know, so um, I auditioned with Wayne Brady and Brad Sherwood. Right. And it was at the producer's hotel. And I assumed he'd have like a stage, some, like yeah, yeah, or something. We went up to his room, oh, that's and I was so like, weird. "Wow, this is weird." I'm like in a hotel room with three guys I don't know, <laughs> improvising in the style of oh, blues. You know, if I had a like, dime for every time I found myself in a hotel room <laughs> with three, three improvising guys. Actually, I kind of knew Brad. I'd done a few gigs with Brad in, in another context. But, right. but yeah, it was a little weird. Because yeah. I assumed he, they'd have like a small, they'd, they'd have rented a small office space or something. Yeah. Like, no, no. Nope. Who needs it? Just push yeah. that lamp over that way. Yeah. But it was the great example, too. Of the three of us, we all made each other look good. Right. It was the great improv example. And we all three got hired. Uh, you know. Uh, yeah. You know, so it's like... How did they make you look good? Because I understand how a musician makes me look good, but how did they inform your choices? Well, by uh, by making strong choices themselves, right? Because it's, it's much easier for me to do what I'm doing when they're making strong choices. Um, by telegraphing mm -hmm. to each other. So a lot of communication, a lot of eye contact, right? Mm -hmm. So they're not just going ahead and I'm tagging along yeah, after. Yeah, catch up, Laura. We're, right, we're yeah. all three <laughs> right. like, okay, what's next? Right. You know, and, and that's, I guess that would be, that's a huge part. So then being able to, for example, end together, because ending together is the hardest part of any yeah, song. Yeah, but it's so magical yeah, that it happens. Yeah, but it's so magical yeah. it works, right. So being able to end together is a big communication between, has to be between all of you. Yeah. And uh, so, yes, yeah, so then being very communicative with me, lots of eye contact, not just like, hey, I'm auditioning and whatever ha whatever you do doesn't matter. Right. Right? Yeah. Which, you know, which... Also, you're in a tiny hotel room. So. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like we're, yeah, yeah, we're sort of all in this together. Yeah. But, you know, I, I'm sure you've been on auditions with people where, like, they're auditioning two of you and the other person is just like, hey, I'm taking care of me and I don't yes. care what happens to yeah. you. And, um, 
but really, as we all know, it's better when we both make each other look good. Yeah. Right? Because no people like what. seeing people work together well. Exactly. Right? If you have exactly. an audience and they're like, mm, they're not working well, they're yeah. not, not going to stick around. And there's a, right, and there's a, and there's a graciousness that's involved mm-hmm. in that too. And people like, whether the people you're auditioning for or the audience or whatever, they like seeing a graciousness. Yeah. I feel Yeah, like. that's a really great word, the graciousness. Because uh, you know when somebody has a scene and they're connecting really well on stage and everybody around that scene is like, oh, I want in on that. I want in on that yeah. scene. And the best thing to do is stay away because it's working. Right. But, um, yeah. But, right, exactly. We're, we're so drawn fantastic. to it. We're yeah. drawn to it. Was um, Wayne Brady the skilled musician that he is now? He was not as skilled, but yeah. he Wayne has, like, a, a real natural It's ability. a gift. He's got yeah. some sort of... Yeah. Extra yeah. sense going yeah, on. Exactly. Yeah. He's like a like a savant or something, right. you know. But he was fresh from they had discovered him in Florida. Uh he was working at Universal Studios doing like the music reviews there and stuff. Of course. Um he had a great story at Universal. He had to sub once at the last minute for the guy who did Elvis in a show. <laughs> Awesome. <laughs> there's a big entrance and he slides out to the end and then there's a stop in the music and then he's going to start singing, right? Yeah. And in the stop, <laughs> the guy in the front row goes, I didn't know Elvis was black. <laughs> like right oh. in that big silence. But yeah, so oh. he was, he was, he'd never done the British Hoots lines, whereas right. some of the fresh. other ones had. But, but he was, when they, I mean, they really did see in him the sort of, just the talent that oozed from his pores. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah. So you audition in the hotel room. Right. You get the call the next day? A couple of days later, yeah. yeah. But they didn't make not, you wait too yeah, long. Yeah, they didn't make me wait too long. And then was that like, did you, what did you, what was the next kick for you? Did you celebrate? Did you, do you remember like coming back and be like, this is our new path? Because who knew that it would run this many years? Oh, no. I know. And you never plan on anything running like no. that. You always think this is the last, this is the end of it. Yeah. Okay. Do you think that every single person in our industry thinks that that's the end of it constantly? Like, I feel I like anybody know. in our industry goes, well, that's my last job. Yeah, we do, sort of, don't we? I'm, I'm never going to work again. I'm never going to work but again. But the weird thing is, in a way, you do have to plan. You have to plan that way financially. You have to think, yeah. if this only goes one year, I'm not going to lose my house the yeah. next year. Yeah. Right? So I can't get myself in too deep financially because I'm not, you know. I'll always yeah. have a spare room to rent out, <laughs> just in case. <laughs> yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. Like, you have to, you do always have to plan for the, and, you know, with both Rick and I being in the arts, we've had our ups and downs. We've had good years and bad years. Mm-hmm. We had one of the best years we've had just a couple of years ago, better than we'd had in, like, 12 years. Hmm. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. there's just no, it just happens. So you have to be able to, you have to be able to get by through the bad years and then be grateful for the good years, I yeah. guess, you know? Yeah. Okay, so, uh, the, but the first six, I didn't quite, I think I didn't quite understand that it, what it was, right. that it was going to be possibly a real series. Yeah. I think I thought we were just doing the six. Right. I didn't quite get it. So, that in a way, that was better because I didn't put as much pressure on myself about it. It was almost like, oh, we're just doing these demos. That right. was that was sort yeah. of the approach. Like, we're doing some demos for some marketing research. Yeah. Oh, okay. You know, um, but it didn't really occur to me until uh, the end of it. Like, oh, this could actually turn into a real ongoing job. Mm-hmm. Right. So, um, 
so, but then, and then we didn't know when they ended, obviously, because they were going to do the market research. But then when they called and said, ABC is actually buying it and we're going to start doing it, at that point, my mom was dying. Oh, my gosh. And that happens so often when the best and the worst news yeah. are colliding. That's and I was going back and forth to, I was going back and forth to Chicago to be with her and she was getting close to hospice care. And I said, Mom, and I said, so obviously they knew that I had been asked to do this job. And I was like, I don't think I'm going to do it. And she's like, what? I'm like, well, they need me to start and I want to be able to come back here. And she's like, you're doing it. I would be so disappointed in you if you didn't do it. And I kept trying to downplay. It's not that big a deal. It's no big, And she's like, no, it is a big deal. Mm -hmm. And you need to start doing that job. You need to do that job. And it was, but I felt so conflicted because. Of course. Yeah. But obviously but I what ended a, up. What a gift. Like, yeah. As a mom, you can imagine having that same conversation, right? There's no doubt right. in your mind. You right. would be like, mm, no, you, you should give that up and stay with me. And stay, yeah. But what a gift your mom gave yeah. to you to have yeah. that freedom. So at one point we were taping, like we were, so now, you know, mom's in hospice we're taping, and we would tape like a three-day weekend, and then I'd fly back to Chicago for three days, mm -hmm. and then we'd tape, and then I'd fly back. Uh, so it was so weird, too, because it was in some ways the most exciting mm. part of my life, and then, uh, you know, uh, it was just, it was very tumultuous. Of course, yeah. You know. Did she see your work? No. Oh. No, she never did. Yeah. Yeah, she was gone before anything aired. Aired, Yeah. yeah. But yeah, it was just such a, it was so much, you know, but yeah, what a great gift that she gave me mm -hmm. to say, no, I would be, I would be really upset if you didn't take this. Also, I bet that gave you like a level of like drive too. It did kind of, yeah, right? it really did. It did. Do you think that's like, is she a driven woman? Did you get a lot of your drive from her? Um, well, she's she was a very passionate woman. Yeah, most definitely. She never really. How so? Well, she just she had big feelings. Yeah, as as Ruthie, as my daughter used to say when she was little, I've got big feelings. Yeah. <laughs> she had big feelings, yeah. you know, and um, and she never worked, and, and partly because that era when she came up, you got married, you had kids, you were a, a housewife. Yeah. That was. It was a given in her in the world view that she grew up in. Yeah. But then later on, like she discovered feminism and she's like marching in Washington. Right. And, you know what I mean? And she marched for civil rights movement and she was very passionate and she was really engaged. Like she was on a she worked on a rape crisis hotline. Wow. You know what I mean? She worked at a women's shelter for abused women. Wow. You know, she she was very passionate she was a very caring, very passionate person. Um, so even though she wasn't driven in the sense of career like we think of it now, but she was, oh. she was driven by her uh, her compassion and her caring and and those kinds of yeah. things. Yeah, what was her first name? Ruth. Ruth. Oh, Ruthie. So my daughter Ruthie's named after her. Oh, yeah. And the last time I saw my mom alive, I was pregnant with Ruthie and I didn't know it. No way. Yeah. Like I was literally like two days pregnant with Ruthie. Huh. That's uh... I know, but so that's why that's why she's and and it's funny because Ruthie, like my mom, has big feelings. Yeah, she's a very passionate, yeah. you know, passionate young woman. So um, so you did the Who's line, and then 
you finished the six, and then by the end of the six, did you know? We we still didn't know, so it was then the first season. Right. Uh, that uh, you know, then I was like, oh, this is a real thing that could really be yeah. a thing. Yeah. Like it just. You have didn't to be even... careful, right, when you yeah. see that, because you're like, I can't get too excited about this. Cause yeah. Who knows? Yeah. So then that was the beginning, but every year at the end of the year, we never knew. And like, same with this, we just finished taping a season. They're yeah. going to start airing in May. We don't know if we're, that could be it. We don't know if it's next year. Yeah. And half the time I find out because, like, my mother-in-law will read it in, in TV Guide or something. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. But, but it is. It's that weird thing of that you want it and you're driven, but you also have to let go of it. Right. And you have to, there's so much that's out of your control. Yeah. What do you come back to? So when you try to let go of that, what do you come back to as the thing that gives you creative security? Because you have your own albums, right? You've right. Left, you've released two Right, we've got the, we've got the, I've got the sweet potatoes. I've got my band. Yeah, and I think that when is was women's women's faith. Uh, the woman of faith. That was that. Gosh, that was probably twelve years ago. Okay. That I did. Yeah. So yeah. I have two CDs that I'd done that are like faith based. Yeah. I had a kid CD. You had I a kid CD with that. Roger yeah. Daltrey. Yes, I did. That. I need to know that story. How did that happen? That was the. I don't even remember how I got that gig. So. I got hired to write music for these videos, and I didn't realize Roger Daltrey was going to be the star of them when I first started. I was just like, oh, they're kids' videos. Right. It'll be fun. And I wanted more experience of writing for for movies. Okay. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, I was doing songs and underscore. It was great. And I had a ton of creative freedom because it was a super low-budget project. <laughs> right, right. And then all of a sudden, it's like, oh, Roger Daltrey is playing the voice <laughs> of this giant dragon puppet. <laughs> right. Like, it's, it was created by the people who made Big Bird. Right, So okay. it's that style, really big, uh, very expressive. Takes, like, three people to work it, you yeah. know? Anyway, so Roger Daltrey's voicing it. So I'm like, oh, cool, I'm writing songs for Roger Daltrey to sing. And then they go, oh, Roger's going to come to your studio to record his vocals. Oh, my gosh. Okay, and you see how small well, this Well, I should say is. we are in your studio right yes. now. This is... I mean, it's fantastic. It's but it's great. tiny. But it's tiny. It's for, tiny. For a Roger Daltrey, right. it's tiny. So here comes. So it, it was me. And then um, I, I brought like an engineering assistant because I was afraid, what if something screws up? Sure. I want someone to be a backup. So I had my friend Kurt Anderson as engineering assistant, two producers, plus Roger's agent or manager, all oh my in this tiny room. And... They came at like three in the afternoon on a hot day, and you can't have the air conditioner running while you're doing a take. Oh, no. <laughs> so it was like the two, four, five, six people in this tiny room, and we have to turn the air conditioner off every five minutes. And I said to the producers, I'm like, I'm begging you. Let's, we can't do this in my studio. Right. Why didn't they just rent a place? I don't I don't That's know. so. Then was he was he cool about it? Was were you constantly going? Oh, you okay? You yeah, okay? I, yeah, I felt I felt huge. I totally did. Yeah. I was. It was so nerve wracking, and I was. Um, and I, you know, I'm trying to take care of everybody of and course. make sure everybody's good, and especially he's You're good. doing craft services. Yeah, You're exactly. also doing studio work. Exactly. Yeah. And when he walked in, he was like, "Oh, okay." <laughs> <laughs> This was not what he expected. Right. My little cute studio with artwork from my children. Up. Right. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. So, um, it's so, yeah. And, and it was so hot. It was, and you kind of just have to own those, right? Yeah. Those yeah. I just, you're like, this is what it is. Yeah. I'm not going to apologize. Because right. the more I apologize, the worse, the worse I feel. it is. Right. So yeah. I'm just going to do this and we'll try and be as efficient and fast as yeah. possible. Yeah. But that, the funny thing is, so he had just bought a house in Sherman Oaks. 
And he was sort of at this, like, I might move to Hollywood and really try and have a, a full career as an actor. Because at that point, The Who wasn't wasn't gigging it was like they are now. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Um, so he was like, I think, a little bit, oh, I might try this out as an actor. Mm-hmm. Which is why he did our little low-budget project. He wanted to do some voiceover. You know, right. voiceover is kind of easy so and fun. fun. Sure. Right. Um, but so he had bought this house in Sherman Oaks and was remodeling it. And next thing you know... Rick and him are talking about hinges for your kitchen cabinets and what kind of flooring is it that? It takes Rick maybe five minutes to start yeah, talking ex- about hinges. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And because we had just finished remodeling our kitchen, so yeah. So I'm like, this is the funniest thing ever. Rick and Roger Daltrey talking it. about what kind of flooring and you know, yeah. yeah. And uh, but then that's sort of how was the chemistry between you two? Okay. Did you guys like work well together in that creative sense? We were okay. Yeah, we were okay. Because that's um, wild, right? Like, just bringing two random people together yeah. and expecting it to be perfect. Yeah, yeah. We did okay. Um, there were certainly things that he was like, oh, I don't want to sing it that way. I'm going to do it this way. And I was like, okay. Yeah. All right. What you going to do? Yeah. Yeah. So then we ended up doing three of them. So each one had an interesting story. So that was the first one. The second one we recorded at Capitol. And that was lovely. Right? They had air conditioning. um, I know. Right, exactly. And he knows people there. And we were in the little studio capital. And, like, um, James Taylor had just left. You know what I mean? It was that kind of thing. Like James Taylor left his aura there. Yeah, exactly. He had just finished a little thing he was doing. Sure. Yeah, so that that one was a good one. The third one, we, he was shooting, Roger was shooting a movie in Belfast. And he was there for, like, almost a month. Yeah. Right, shooting this movie. And so they decide, on his day off, I'm going to fly to Belfast and record his vocals. Yeah. Okay, dumbest idea ever. Yeah. And again, I was like, you guys, I'm not, I'm not so sure about this. <laughs> on his one day on his, off. On his, like, yeah, yeah, on his one day off. And it was like an action movie. And he had to do a lot of running around. Not a young guy. I'm like, he should just have his days off. Yeah. But somehow they decide with his manager, this is a good idea. They fly me all the way to Belfast. We get there, where I'm in a little studio with this this lovely kid, and then here comes Roger. And the day before, he had had to shoot a scene where they were in fake smoke, and he'd had to run and rescue someone, and he was breathing in all that yeah. fake smoke. Couldn't talk. He doesn't have a voice. Oh. So he comes in, he, he warms up for about 15 minutes, kind of gets there, and then he lasts about five minutes. Yeah. And then you can he's exhausted. And he says, I just can't do this. Yeah. I just can't do this. And they're like, oh, no, no, we'll get you some tea. And he's like, no, it's more than I need tea. Like, I just physically can't do this. Yeah. And so they run off. The producers run off to go buy tea. It's me and the engineer and Roger. And Roger starts pacing, and he's like, that's it. I'm leaving. Tell him I'm not doing this. I'll do it another day. And he walks out of the oh, studio wait. and leaves. Yeah. They come back and they're like, where's Roger? We're like, he just left. And they're like, you didn't make him stay? I can make Roger Daltrey stay? Really? Yeah. You know? Um, I don't think you're going anywhere, <laughs> sir. Exactly. Yeah. I'm telling you. So then they're like, well, did he? Did a driver take him? I'm like, he was walking. And they're like, okay, this is Belfast and he's a very famous Brit and this is not safe for him to be walking oh around. Oh my God. To, between I wouldn't here, think of any of that. I know stuff. between here and the hotel is not a safe place for a famous Brit. To yeah, be also you're not his handler, so yeah. you're not supposed to be equipped with that kind of right. Exactly. So I'm like, but that's not my responsibility. Yeah. I just wrote some <laughs> cute little children's songs, okay? So then they go flying after they all get in their cars and they go, you know, going after. It was like oh the biggest gosh. 
stupidest thing of chaos and confusion ever. Yeah. And then he ended up doing what I had suggested in the first place, was he recorded the tracks after the movie was done. When he had time, he went to the studio that he likes in his hometown, recorded the tracks, and sent them to yeah. me. Yeah. Along with a giant bouquet of flowers. That's nice. Yes. Nice. Very classy. Yeah. But uh, but I was like, this. It was. I knew it was a dumb idea. Right. I knew it was a bad idea. Now, does your career take you to that kind of weird places, like the Belfast studio? So, sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. So I've, I've certainly had some odd little, you know... Like that, and I did a USO tour with Drew and the guys, yeah. and you know what I mean. So I've had some. Yeah, of like those. the time with Drew was probably a lot of that kind of. Yes, stuff, there right? was a lot of traveling yeah. and a lot of we did we did a lot of a lot of live shows and yeah yeah yeah. And in reflection of uh, whose line, just going back to that a little bit, wh- like what has that time been like for you? Like when you're eighty and looking back, going, oh, remember when we used to do whose line? Like, what will that hold in your heart? Oh, I I have really, really fond memories of yeah. all of it. You look like you're always having a good time, which <laughs> I think is super key in improv. Yes, right. Because if is. people are off stage and they're watching their fellow improvisers, whether it's musician or not, and they're not enjoying each other, I'm like, this is rough. Yeah, you guys are not having yeah. fun. But you always look like you're engaged and enjoying what they're bringing to the table. Yes, yeah. and I respect genuinely. and I I genuinely respect and mm-hmm. admire all of them and all of their work. So I have super fond memories of all that. And also, what an amazing opportunity it's been for me. Totally. Like, this one audition has turned into so much work. So six years on ABC. Then we did a lot of touring. Um, I, You know, I did a lot with Drew. And then everybody's all sort of splintered now. There's all sorts of different groups. But mm-hmm. I did a lot with Drew and, and the guys. And then now we're in our fifth year at on the CW. Like, yeah. what? You know, it's yeah. so, so there's... Certainly the just amazing opportunity, amazing job that has lasted a remarkable amount of time. Yeah. Um, I I never thought it would come back like it has, you know. Yeah, it ha- it has such a great formula. Yeah. And those, I mean, other than Colin Mockery, who's the weakest link, <laughs> of course, but they're all, they bring such strength and smartness yes. and, yes. you know, all their bits of comedy. It's fantastic. Yeah. So, yeah, it feels like the best kind of formula. Yeah. And yes, exactly. And there's sort of infinite, like infinite things you can pour into it. So mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yeah. So sometimes it's stressful in terms of sort of the format. Yeah. You know, like it's a really long day on a tape yeah. day. And, um, and you then record for how many hours in one? Well, it ends up like four hours of taping. But yeah. so we're getting there earlier to do sound check and. Uh, hair and makeup, and, yeah. you know, so it ends up being like a 12, not, not quite 12, 11, 10 or 11 yeah, hour day. but a long time to be yeah. on. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and then sometimes it just can be, yeah, like doing the pickups and stuff. You've been there for a taping, yeah. so you know, like sometimes that can just get like, oh, this is yeah. never going to end. Right. The, but, but at least you're around a bunch of jokers, right? Yeah, like at exactly. At the end of the day, you're like, we're still making each other laugh even when the camera stops. Right, rolling, exactly, so. and and we all we all do we like each other. We yes. like each other's work. We you know, yeah. and that makes all the difference. In yeah, the world. yeah. Um, now and also, there's rarely a woman in the cast. Right. So you guys, you two are the the female representation. Right, and now the, Aisha as and well. Aisha, yeah, yes. right. So it's me and Linda, and then Aisha. Yeah, has yeah. that ever been a thing? Like, have you ever felt like the woman in the team? Yeah, and in the beginning, when it was Drew and I didn't have Linda yet, it really was me. Just you. It was just me. Yeah. And was that, did you ever, like, what was that like? It, 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 
not that I was ever sort of specifically like, ah, you're just a woman, so shut up. Mm -hmm. But it was a little hard. It was a little hard. And a lot of the time when we were touring, I was the only woman on tour. Right. And so, you know, you're on a tour bus with six guys. Right. You know what I mean? And and sometimes I was like, oh, <laughs> I yeah. wish there was another woman here. I wish, you know. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Did you ever have to put your elbows up? Like, did you ever feel like you had to find that, like, young Laura uh, voice um, and say, like, hey? Um, n not really. You know what I did was I just had to find space for myself mm. is what I had to do. Because, and I did have to insist that they put the toilet seat down, even though I was the only one. You have one, I have only one request, <laughs> please. <laughs> yeah. Um, even though I was the only woman, like, come on. Yeah. That's common decency. And most of them were married. They should know. Right? Right. So, um, uh, yeah, you know, what it, you. <laughs> you know what it mostly was, was making, for me, always with touring is the thing of making the space for myself yeah my whatever alone time i need whatever sort of recharge myself i need yeah whatever the context is um because i can get over socialized yes yeah and me too. and and you know and it's not any one thing it's not like i don't like these guys or i don't like this audience or i don't it's not that it's that when you're on the road there can be sort of perpetual input from other people mm -hmm. and I'm a person who likes some alone time yeah you know and and needs some alone time to sort of recharge to um I think and I think people who are writers like writers tend to be a little more solitary or yeah. you, you just need that solitary time I love the social time yeah but I also needed to learn how to sort of step away and yeah. take care of myself and what would that look like just like having like time in the bus is there like an area in the bus that's just well, yours <laughs> like a curtain I don't well know. It, it, you know what there's those little cubbies yes. where you can sleep because yeah. it was a ro like a rock tour bus so there's a room in the front with a lounge in the front and a lounge in the back and then in between is a hallway with these cubbies and i would go just hang in my in the cub in my cubby right and uh and it ended, <laughs> that ended up being like a really lovely time for me yeah so I would, I would read, I would write in my journal, I would, you know, I'd even bring a little Casio and sometimes like, <laughs> play on It's my a pretty great image. Casio it's a pretty In my little cubby. <laughs> but it did the trick for me. Yeah. You know? Yeah. How did you know that that's what you needed? Like, how were you that self-aware? I guess, I don't know how I figured it like, out. How did you not just start doing heroin and thinking that's what you needed? <laughs> I guess because I had kids at home and stuff, right. too, I was like, um, and, you know, I guess really in a way, well, no, when I was touring with Second City, I wanted to be with everyone all the time. Yeah. I was much more like, oh. But there was a gender is... balance there. Yeah, there was more of a gender balance, yeah. right. There were always two women besides me. So, yeah. you know, we, yeah. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I think I just needed to be like, I want to continue doing this. And I did like doing it. I don't want in any way to say that I didn't enjoy touring. Yeah. Because I still love going on the road. Yeah. I really do. I love seeing... Yeah, you and Rick tour all the time. Yeah, now, I so. love seeing different parts of the country, meeting different people, working with different improvisers. I just... There's something I love about that experience. But I also need, at the same time, yeah. I need... I need time to myself. Yeah. And so I think it was like me at one point going, either I can't do this anymore or I have to figure out how to take better care of myself. Right. 
Right. And even eating better, all those things. Yeah. Making sure I drank enough water. Yeah. <laughs> making sure I didn't drink too much alcohol. Like yeah. all those things. Like if you're going to survive the road for long stretches. And at one point, like we were out, I think we did, oh, I'm not going to remember the numbers, but we were out for about six weeks straight. I think we did like 60 shows. I right. mean, we were, you Insane. know, it's just one, one yeah. of those super, and really compared to rock tours, that's nothing. But I was like, okay, I have absolutely got to take care of myself yeah. if I'm going to get through this. Yeah. And it was the big lesson about all those things, eating better, mentally taking care of myself, emotionally what does that mean to taking you? care of emotionally myself. Emotionally and mentally, what does that look like for you? Um, speaking up if I was unhappy about something rather than like, oh, I'm just... Yeah, you know? that's huge. But yeah. yeah, that was a big one. Um, and... Uh, and taking time to myself, making sure I was still reading. Yeah. Doing stuff like that, listening yeah. to music I love, yeah. all those things, taking walks. Because I know you have a really strong faith, too. So did that play a part? Yes, definitely. Yeah. Like reconnecting with that, making sure I, I sort of stayed connected to that. Mm -hmm. How do you do um, that on the road? <laughs> like, that's hard, right? Because you're on a... Yeah, it is. Rock. It is hard. And it's not like I was, you know, having the chance to go to church, yeah. you know, uh, uh, on the road. but. I guess, you know, with praying, meditating, reading, that yeah. kind of stuff, you know. So I really was trying to, that that tour in particular was one where I went, I need to really figure all of this out. Going for walks, being outdoors. Like, if you play in yes. Vegas, you could spend the entire two weeks inside. Yeah. And, and connecting and, with, like, nature and stuff. Yeah, in, right. In any form. Right. Like, yeah. I'm going to go and just find a park yeah. and then walk a few laps so I'm getting some exercise yeah. and I'm being outside. Like all those things for me mm -hmm. were, were really important. And really, it's up to everyone to take care of themselves however they they do that. Yeah, I just don't think people are as aware of what they need to take care of themselves. Like if you go, something's not right. I don't know. I'm not entirely balanced or happy to go, oh, I need to go for a walk in a park. I need right. that. Right. And, and right. I think that is where people get into trouble. Like, oh, I need to drink more. Yeah, that's my answer. <laughs> you know? right. I don't think any of us were like, mm, something's not right. I need to drink more. <laughs> that's how I'm going to get through this. But you know what I mean? I yes. do really understand how people get derailed on the road. Totally. Or not even and, on the road. Like in yeah. our life, when you're not working for stretches of time and you're yeah. feeling like vacant in some way because you're not being able to be creative. And you mm -hmm. think, what do I really need? <laughs> I need to drink Booze, more. Right? Right. That is right. the answer. No, yeah. but like, yeah, nature, friends, yes. um, faith of any kind. And yeah. Yeah. And and sense. it is, it's really important. And I, and I think people who tour a lot and have done it successfully for years, you know, and especially like say in the rock band situation, like the who, they sort of had to come out the other side. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, um, um, we did some gigs with Joe Walsh mm -hmm. and you know, he's a great example of like, he went, he really lost totally. it and he had to get completely sober to be able to put, put his life back together and to be able to, you know, to, to be able to play again. Yeah. You know? And, um, so it's, it, it, it's like you, it feels like it's an easy rabbit hole for people to go down to, mm -hmm. but if they're going to make it, to the other side, they sort of have to sort it out. Well, that's just it. If you go, I need to have a longevity. Right. How am I going to make this right. work? And whether it's somebody like him where he had to like down tools, everything, or somebody like you that went, no, I've got to adjust here and here so I don't see myself over there. Right. Right. Yeah. Right.
And part of it was because by that point I had kids. And right. I was like, I can't. That must have been hard to leave them. It was hard. It was really hard when they were little. Um, but I also, like, Rick has always been such a hands-on daddy. Yeah. I never felt like, I know lots of women who are like, I can't leave them, al- right. I can't leave him alone with the kids for an afternoon because he won't feed them right. or whatever. Like, he was a super good daddy. Yeah. yeah, he was really good at all the all the day-to-day essentials of taking care of them. So, so though I missed them a lot, I never worried that they weren't being really well taken care of. Right. And that made a huge difference. Yeah. Yeah, and you're setting up for another big change now because now they yeah. both move, they're both out of the house. Yeah, yeah. So do you fall. have plans not only for their rooms, but for, <laughs> like, do you have your next um, goal or dream that you've got in your site? Well, one of the things we realized is that it we can travel more yeah. now. Yeah, um, and you for, guys like traveling, For longer right? trips, and we do like traveling. Yeah, and so you're teaching Mm-hmm. And you're playing with sweet potatoes. Yes, and and then also performing, you know, at like improv festivals and that kind of yeah. stuff. Yeah, yeah, and you've got your book too. And I have my book. How, yeah. Tell me about how the book came about, because that's, I think that's a first, right? There's no other improvising musical for musicians. Book. Yeah, there actually is one by Michael Pollock, and there's and that's a really good one. It's the only one I've ever found because yeah. I did research. It's the only one like in the world I've ever found. Right, um, and his is very good too. Um, and I read his first so I could think about what do I want to cover that that's different so that it wouldn't feel yeah. like you didn't. But anyway, right. um, so it really came about. I did a podcast with Bob Baker, who has a really great podcast, too. And it was sort of similar about my life in improv. Yeah. And after the podcast was over, we started chatting. And he said, have you ever considered writing a book about what you do? And I said, you know, people ask me that or say you should write a book. I don't know how to write a book. And I've taught myself so many things. I've taught myself how to build a website, yeah. how to promote music, I've, you know, all these yeah. things. And I'm like, I just don't know if I'm up for teaching myself how to write a book at this point in my yeah. life. Because you didn't really want it that badly? Or? Yeah, like I thought, oh, that would be cool. Because I feel I, like you, you know that you can do anything. You just have to want it. And you and you have to set, and you have to, it takes time and energy. That's yes. the other thing, yeah. right? Yeah. So it's not. So do the, you have the time and energy to exactly, pursue it? Exactly, exactly. No. Like I've got all these things going on. Do I have the time and energy to learn how to write a and promote a book at this point in my life. Yeah. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Even though it would be kind of cool. Yeah. I just didn't, you know. And so he said, well, I have written books. I've written lots of books. And one of the books I've written is how to promote books. <laughs> so he's like, I know how to do all that. Yeah. I know how to, he even knows how to do the, the um, proofing and all that yeah. kind of yeah. stuff and the layout and yeah. all that. Stuff that I would have no idea how to right. do. And so he said, what would you think about co-writing? And I'm like, let's try it and yeah. see what happens. I love it. <laughs> that so, served you well, this let's try it Yes, attitude. exactly. Yeah. And he was very much that way, too. He has an improv in music, in writing, and an improv. Yeah. Right? So he, you know, it's like he he the gets perfect. it. Yeah. yeah, he's the perfect guy to work and with. And so we we were like, let's try it and see what happens. So we sketched out the, the, uh, the overall outline together. And then literally, like, we'd go, okay, we want a chapter about... You know, how to do transitions in an improv show. Yeah. Right? And so I would just, like, blah yeah. on a piece of paper. You know, I'd get all this information. Right. But I would just sort of spew it all out yeah. on a Google Doc and then send it to him. And he would turn it into, like, paragraphs yeah. and chapters <laughs> and headings and yeah. subheadings. And I was like, oh, my gosh, this is great. Yeah. So it was a really good pairing. Like, our skill sets yeah. paired really well. Yeah. And 
there is there really is a need for it. There's not there's tons of classes that people can take to learn how to do the acting side of improv. Yep. And there's hardly anyone that teaches the musician side of improv. Yeah. And so it's a resource that I think people find totally. valuable. The other thing that I'm that I've have been finding is that, you know, a lot of improv groups want to get a musician and teach them how to do it. It's not necessarily a musician saying, I want to learn how to play for improv groups. Yeah. But it's improv groups saying you know, there's a lot of college students in our town. We want to get a musician and teach them, but we don't know how to teach them. Right. So the book is a resource to help teach them. Smart. Yeah. So because a lot of actor improvisers and even improviser directors don't quite know how to explain to a musician what it is or how yeah, it works. Yeah, the language is tricky, for yeah. sure. You just know and you're like, an actor will just go, oh, you just know when it's right. Right, like, exactly. Anybody. Exactly. <laughs> right. So, yeah. so it's a really, I'm finding like we're selling them to directors and stuff who want to be able to have better communication with their musician yeah. or they want to train a musician. So part of it talks about even like how to get started. If you've yeah. never done improv before, like here's the baby steps, here's how you can get started. You don't have to be full on before yeah. you start. Can, yeah, I think know. that's great because sometimes we wait till we have all our ducks in line and you're like, just try it. Right. Again, just try yeah, it. Yeah, just try it. And yeah. and your improv group will be thrilled because improv shows are always better with music. Always. It's the truth of the matter. And always. your improv group well, will be right thrilled. Well, the right kind of music. Yes. Because I've yes. played before with musicians that have really sidetracked our show. Just uh, Yeah. Yeah, just not being sensitive like what you're talking about, like when you're really engaged with each other, eye contact, and you're going back and forth and they were not... Yeah, they had a different ulterior motive, obviously. Yes, and yeah. you know that's the biggest sort of criticism that I'll hear from actors about musicians is they're just playing. They just want to play their thing. Yeah, and they don't really care what's happening on stage. They're like, I'm just going to play this thing, and yeah. it's like unrelated, disconnected. Yeah, some musicians want to just show off what they can do, right? And that makes me go, no, like do, do that somewhere else. But here's the place where we work together. Right. Yeah. Right. And and not every musician is cut out for this. No. You yeah. know, there are really great musicians who are like, I don't want to do that because I don't get to do what I, in a way, I don't know how to put it. In a way, you don't get to show off. You're always, always yeah. serving the whole rather than, hey, look at me. Yeah. You can't be the grandstanding yeah. person. But in a way, for me, like when a musician is, killer in an improv show that's showing off like you can see them working so it's a magical right thing, so. but the magic is how you're working together the yeah. magic isn't look, look at me, at me being yeah. playing like Rachmaninoff yeah. you know what I mean right. like yeah right. and that is that can be hard for for musicians not every musician is cut out to do it no no but I love I've always loved the collaborative process mm -hmm. I love that's why I love playing in bands I love co-writing with people I love doing improv because of that, because I love the back and forth. Yeah. That's too. the part that's exciting and interesting to me. Yeah. It's the reason why you're not a one-woman band. Right. 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 Yeah. And actually the thought of, like, when I used to do a lot of piano bar, which was great bread and butter, and it was, I, I did learn a lot from doing it, but I'd be like, wow, I wish I had other people to play with. Like, yeah. I'm bored of myself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I get it. Um, okay, so one of the things I do when I'm sort of wrapping this up is talk about things that are inspiring you these days to see if it'll reverberate to the next thing. So like any books that you're reading or a movie or TV show that you've seen or what music you're listening to these days. Oh, that's interesting. What's on your, uh, your go-to for your listening? I sort of have two categories that I listen to a lot. And one is the sort of acoustic 
singer-songwriter Americana stuff like yeah. the Sweet Potatoes does. Yeah. So I'm really into Red Molly and um, the Waylon Jennings. Okay, yeah. And um, Have you heard oh, of the Be Good Tanyas? No. Oh. Oh, I'll have to check them yeah, out. Yeah, I think you'd really like them. Yeah, and like I listen to... Uh, um, Mountain Stage, that podcast, because they've just always got lots of up-and-coming people in the sort of acoustic world. Yeah. So it's a great way to hear bands that I yes. don't necessarily know about. Um, so I'm sort of always listening to that, and that a lot inspires and informs my writing for The Sweet Potatoes, yeah. most definitely. I only want to be in bands where we all really like being together. Totally. It's sort of like what you were saying about being with improvisers, that that you like and admire their work. Like, yeah. I only want to be in bands where we where we like each other, where we really enjoy playing together. Yeah. Um, where it feels creatively fulfilling, you know. And um, and this really feels that way for mm-hmm. me. The Sweet mm-hmm. Potatoes you can tell is, too. is the labor of love. Yeah. 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 Um, are you reading any books these days that you love? Um, I'm, re- I'm, I'm in the middle of reading Americana, and I will not even try and attempt to say the author's name. That's all right. She's oh. um, she's an African woman who came to America, and she writes about... Actually, my daughter turned me on to it because she read it for her literature class. So she's been... It's great because she's been giving me books yeah, that I didn't cool. know about. Um, so it's about coming to America and being an immigrant and the sort of cultural experience of coming from... She's from Nigeria. Right. And so it's the, the character comes to America from Nigeria, but the author also did. Right. It, right. So it's, um, uh, it, and it's really fascinating sort of looking at American culture. Where it is now. Yeah. And from the, and this is from 2013, so it's yeah. very recent, but yeah. sort of from the outside in, I guess, for lack of better, gotcha. better yeah. way to say it. But I'm really enjoying that. Is it a that. success story? I'm only, I'm only in the. <laughs> I just kind of want to know that it's a success I'm only story. about a third of the way in. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's certainly about some of the racism she encounters, right. too. You know what I mean? But doesn't that fuel your anger, that book? Yeah. Like, that's not a bedtime story. You like, know, wouldn't it, that just it, get your brain going? It doesn't, going? it doesn't, because she also has she also has positive experiences right. and connects with people. And uh, it doesn't, it doesn't. And she also has a great sense of humor, the author. Right. So that really helps Thank a God. Lot. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that helps a whole lot. Um, any, any other movies? Any other TV shows? That you, oh, you then the, the music that the other category oh, yeah. of music that I've listened, I've been listening to a lot is um, like soundtrack stuff. Yeah, because I because like I love that. So like I absolutely love. I cannot get over the soundtrack to the Danish Girl. I just love it. I loved it so listen much, to, and I listen to that a lot. Yeah, um, it's very almost hypnotic. Like I'll listen to it sometimes before I go to bed because parts of it are very hypnotic. Yeah. Um, I'm a big Downton Abbey fan and I love yes. the music from yes. Downton Abbey. Yeah. And we were talking earlier about um, Call Midwife. the Midwife. Yeah. And I love that score. I love that music too. Cool. And it makes a big That's difference That's not something I would me. think of doing like pulling a soundtrack that isn't like like Hamilton soundtrack, right? You know, but right. that's uh, yeah, that's an interesting thing to have in your yeah. And repertoire. and actually, speaking of Hamilton, I just saw it when I was in Chicago with Wayne. Did Brady. you love it? Oh my gosh, I loved it so oh, much. Good, because sometimes like I haven't seen it yet, but I'm all, I'm also kind of nervous to see it because there's, there's been so, so much, much hype. hype. I know, then, and there's certain things. But he must have been amazing in it. He was amazing, yeah. and it really is an incredibly written show. Yeah. And, you know, there's so many things, like when I saw Cats, and there was so much huge thing about Cats, and I was like, what? Just a bunch of cats. I don't get it. I loved Cats. But I loved it for the dancing. I was like a dancer, so I was like, oh, 
They're like cats, but people. Yeah, but I, but like, <laughs> there's not really a story. No, 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 no. It's like a book of poetry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I guess I mean, I literally, was, it's a book I guess of poetry. Was, <laughs> yes, it is. I guess I was expecting a story. Too. Yeah. What about "Come from Away"? Have you seen that? No, no. Yeah. Do you know about that that story? I'll, no. Oh yeah, it's this beautiful story about what happened at nine eleven when all the planes got rerouted to Gander. Oh, right. And uh, and uh, I I almost don't want to tell you anything more about it because it's it's worth the flight to New York if you can go see it. It's so beautiful. <laughs> It'll end up here soon. Absolutely. Yeah. But it's honestly one of the yeah. best things. I leapt. Deb and I went to see it when it was in uh-huh. Washington, and we leapt to our feet. The lights started to go down at the end, and we were like, Oh, that's great. Yeah, it's incredible. And they're, they're it's a success story. Like they're getting they're gonna sweep the Tonys and everybody's just it's a big love fest it's fantastic that's good that's great and and it is it's great when something that's really good also has success yeah because they're yeah. not always married you know sometimes no. things that are really good aren't successful and sometimes things that are kind of mediocre are hugely successful and I can't figure out why how has menopause the musical musical been running for so long do you know what I mean I, like I, I I don't know but I get it because yeah, I guess I like, get it. We you know what we're gonna do tonight, Diane. We're gonna go see Menopause yeah. the Musical. <laughs> yeah, let's go see it. It's our night. Like I kind of and we'll have that. some drinks and it'll be fun. Yeah, but yeah, but I'm but like, come from away. I would say that that it's like the people that have brought that together, like David and Irene, wrote this beautiful story that is about people doing beautiful things. It's funny, it's mm. kind, and this and the night we saw it, and I don't think it's it's different any other night. But the actors are just giving her. Like, you know what I mean? They just get on that stage and they're like, we're part of something really cool and we're not going to call in one moment mm-hmm. of any of these shows. And they're just like passionate about what they're doing. It's really, it's one of the best things I've ever seen. That's great. Yeah. I, and I felt that way about Hamilton too. Yeah. Okay. They're so happy to be in that show. Yeah. The actors are super invested. And we saw it on a Wednesday night, yeah. you know? Yeah. But the actors are, are really invested. They're really performing. And the other thing I loved about Hamilton is, is, all the elements are thought about from the costumes to the blocking to the the choreography to how they get you know and it's sort of minimal staging which is my favorite yeah, yeah. so it's a big beautiful set but they bring out a chair and a table and now you're in the pub yeah i love it from and the then lighting. they get rid of the chair and now you're in his office yeah. you know what i mean like, i don't need to see big flats and things come exactly, in exactly exactly and so they use this sort of minimal thing. And even the way they bring in the chairs as part of a piece of choreography of something happening yeah. before. Like every element is thought out. I love it. And that and that just made me so happy. I, like I love, I either want to see things that are super spontaneous or I want to see things where we've really considered every detail is important. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And so like the fact that that how they brought the chairs and table out was so well thought out yeah. made me happy too. Yeah, it's purposeful. Yes, exactly. Yeah, I do it's like that. It's all part of a big piece, Yeah, you know. Um, and then, of course, they're like fantastic singers and the orchestra was so great. Yeah. It's just, it's oh, like I really every it. piece, yeah. every piece for me was satisfying. Every cool. piece fit together. Um, the problem is I could talk to you for another I two know. hours and I, 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 there's so many more questions and thoughts I have. Um, but here's the thing that we'll leave it off with is, uh, any advice, like a, like a, any words of wisdom that you would give to anybody that wants to do what you're doing? Um, I would say, and I do have to say, I just met someone at the, at a improv fest last week, a young woman who said, you're, you're the reason I, I'm doing improv. Oh, 
made me so happy. That must have been incredible. Does that not happen yeah. to you a lot? I bet you don't even know how many people are influenced by your work. That's the weird thing. Like when you do stuff and you put it out in the world, yeah. you have no idea who is going to be influenced in what way. But you think about it. Okay, how how long has Whose Line been around? The first one started like 18, 19 years ago. Right. So even like so 20, 20 years ago, uh, to have two female musicians on stage wasn't common. Right. Like yeah. I remember I was seeing that going, oh, that's something that women can do. You know yeah, what I mean? Right. Like, that's a really, so I bet you don't even know how much you've influenced people. And yeah, and, and I love it, you know. And the other thing is that the ABC version, a lot of people watched it with their family. It was a, you could family. watch it with your family. Mm -hmm. So you meet a 25-year-old who says, this was a show my family watched together. Yeah. And so they have these incredibly affectionate feelings, like I do for like the Carol Burnett show. Sure. That sure. was the show my family watched. Yeah. Really. So I get that. I get that a lot. Okay. So yeah, I do sometimes get young women in particular. Um, the one thing I would say is give yourself permission to try it and then regroup mm -hmm. without shame, without, um, it, you know, if something doesn't work out, that doesn't even mean that it's a failure. It means you've learned, oh, this is this is not a direction I'm going to go. Or this is something that, that doesn't make me happy. You know, a life in the arts is really difficult. And not everybody's cut out for it. Mm -hmm. The the financial uncertainty, the, the, the up and down sort of emotionally about... Victories you know, and yeah, failures, and we're, yeah, and we're constantly, in a way, needing approval of outside people. Even as much as we can talk about having our own internal sense of approval, to have a career, you have to get some outside approval. Someone mm -hmm. has to hire you. Someone has to, <laughs> you right. know, has yeah. to want to watch your show or do your, you know, even if you create your own podcast, someone has to want to listen to it. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. So, and I am making millions of dollars exactly. on this podcast. <laughs> That's oh, the, the lap thing. of luxury. But yeah, that thing of um, if you do if you do give it a try and you say, you know what, this is this is I can't live with this uncertainty. This is too stressful for me. Mm -hmm. Then figure out another way to do it because there's tons of people who have a job that they like and then they're in an improv group. Yeah, and they play together on Friday nights. And that's enough. And they're more than happy, yeah. right? They don't need to make it their career. Or if they're a musician, they play in their local orchestra, or they put a band together, or yeah. they do piano bar, or whatever. Or they're writing their own songs and, and putting them up on iTunes. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? Like, whatever you're doing, it, it like, there's a million ways to make it work. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I think people feel like, oh, I'm a failure because I have a day job and I'm I'm not making a, a full-on career out of my music or my improv or mm -hmm. my acting, and there's absolute there's no shame in any way of doing it. Like whatever rocks your world, yeah. Find out what's right for you. Yeah, yeah. And especially, I think you know, then as you as you get older, you want to settle down. You might want to have kids. It's a hard way. I mean, sometimes people are like, "How did you and Rick do it?" And I'm like, "I have no idea." Yeah. Schooling. Yeah. Expensive. And we own a home in Los Angeles. Right. You know what I mean? Like like that in itself is a is With a victory. A yeah, yeah. A Roger Daltrey approved <laughs> studio. You know what I mean? So it's like I don't know I'm not quite sure how we made it work, right. but we did, we hung in there. And then this is also, you know, the, the thing of don't don't believe your bad reviews and don't believe your good ones either. Like you do have to, in some ways, 
you can't be too dependent on that outside, mm -hmm. that outside approval. Even though, on the other hand, I was just saying you have to have some of it, right? You have to have some of it to, yeah, to, but you to have work. To know. But you have to know, and you have to, you have to have your you, your internal core of it. Yeah. You yeah. know, and otherwise you'll get destroyed. Yeah. Like if I was waiting for everybody to tell me if I was okay or not. Oh my be, gosh. Like I get it that I have to get work from other people, but I'm going to get my confidence from myself. Ex exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And, and from, and from working with people you trust, yeah. with teachers you trust. But that's a with, journey too. Know, yeah. Right. That's a muscle. That you have to exercise constantly. Like some days, like oh, I've got all the confidence in the world. Right. Other days, like Ugh. oh yes, so, and we all do. It yeah. it is the nature of the performer, I think. Yeah. Um, and then the other totally practical piece of advice. Yes. When you're making money, don't think it's going to be forever. <laughs> yes. And save it, or or you know, pay off the car. Yeah. You know, whatever those things are, so yeah. that you can then, if you have a dry six months, which. You know, I've been doing this for 35 years, right? Yeah. It's, it's been totally up and down. When you have a slower time, you're not freaking out because now not only am I dealing with my creative life and my career, but I'm also freaking out because I can't pay my mortgage. Yeah. Right? So, like, try and set your life up so that if and when, actually I should say when, you have the slower times, it's not a total panic yeah. that, you, that your car's going to get taken away. Because that eats at your confidence, too. And then you're not good in any right. audition sense. You right. Know? Then if you're it too... It all falls apart. Yes, exactly. Then if you're too desperate, it's like they feel that desperation, yeah. you know? So it's like... It's like what you're talking about before when you're on tour, like the health stuff. Like if you're not looking after your body, mind, and spirit, then everything else is going to fall apart, yes, too. Yes, Exactly. I really could talk to you forever. I love <laughs> I speaking with it's you. Really I think fun. this is such a great discussion and um I don't ever I want to do like second and third parts, but thank you so much for <laughs> taking the you. time. Thanks. I'm I've really enjoyed it and I could talk all the all night too. Yeah. <laughs>